Welcome again to the Professional Services Pursuit podcast featuring expert advice and insights on the professional services industry. I'm one of the co-hosts. My name is Brent Trimble, and my guest today is Tim Williams, who's the founder of Ignition Consulting Group and um, also a published author, Positioning for Professionals and Take a Stand for Your Brand. And a little more about Tim before we we uh, get into it. He's a career marketing professional and established Ignition with a mission to help professional services firms escape the tyranny of an unfocused business model. He speaks internationally, presents at business organizations worldwide, and is a thought leader in, in the, the metrics and the dimensions of professional services industries. It's been quoted in The Economist, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Bloomberg, to name a few. Before we dive in, Tim, what I'd note is, and, and I'd note to our listeners, is, is we have the benefit of having worked together uh, many years ago, but I've, I've been a frequent adherent and I guess disciple of the, of the practices and have um, recommended the books to leaders, both my peers as well as other organizations. So it's really great to have you on the show and welcome. Well, I appreciate that, Brent. It's uh, great to reconnect with you. I appreciate you inviting me. You know, this notion of positioning for professional services, and we, when, we, when we think about that and we conceptualize that, it's everything from the management consultancies, advisory firms. We see a lot of now customer experience type consultancies and uh, of certainly the marketing agencies. And I wanted to you know, get your vantage point and just hear a little bit about the provenance of Ignition and what led you to really crystallize around this idea of positioning and found Ignition and what was the impetus for that? Well, as you said, I, I'm a career marketing professional. I spent the first half of my life inside agencies, both independents and multinationals. So I got to see firsthand the, the the pitfalls involved with with firms that that lack a, a clear focus I decided I've always had kind of a um, teaching streak in me so I I thought there would be an opportunity to do what only a, f- a few surprisingly a few people have done and and focus exclusively on the agency side uh, I, I think that the client organizations marketers have armies of consultants that work for them and back them up. I decided early on that Ignition Consulting Group would would advocate exclusively for and on behalf of agencies um, because I I think that uh, and it's the the great irony of our business that agencies who who do such a great job of advising and and helping position their clients have an infernally difficult time doing it for themselves. Mm. Um, so when people ask me what what I do, I often will say I'm a I'm a brand doctor for brand doctors. Uh, we we all we all need the advice of an objective outside consultant at some point. So that's what I do. I started with with positioning as a focus, believing that that agencies really needed to bring more focus to their own businesses. As I say, they do that well for their clients. But later. I, I discovered that the question and practice of pricing is really the other side of that coin, that they're, mm-hmm. they're very uh, linked and interrelated, the questions of positioning and pricing. 
No, that's great. And when you, you know, for the benefit of the audience and for a discussion, when you when you talk about focus and contextually positioning, I certainly know what that means and and have have been a part of marketing services firms for for a great part of my career and the notion of of focusing on maybe a key business area or um, suite of services, but maybe give our, our our listeners a little bit of context there. When you talk about focus, it's not so much agency operations. Would it be fair to say it's the forward-facing market positioning of the agency to yeah. to their to their target to their target constituents? Yeah, exactly. I mean, f- focus can ultimately apply to internal operations, and I, I believe mm. it does. But this is the external way. This is essentially your business strategy. The way you go to market, the way you prospect for for business, uh, I believe that a positioning strategy is essentially a prospecting strategy. But once you bring it to life inside your organization, then you're you're going to be aligning all your business practices around it. the The essential questions around positioning, and we can talk about this in more detail as we go, I think consist of four four very simple but important questions. And they are the questions of what, who, way, and why. Mm -hmm. The what question is, what what are your core competencies? What are the areas in which you're best in class, in which you can, in in effect, almost be world-class, no matter what your size or location? The second question of who is, who is your target market? It it Mm -hmm. can't be everyone. Um, what industries, business sectors, audiences, types of brands do you know best? The fourth question of way is how are you differentiated by the way you think, your methodologies, your approaches, your philosophies? And the final question of why, arguably the, the, the most difficult of the four, is the question around your purpose. Why do you get out of bed in the morning? What Beyond making money, what's the purpose of your organization? So. I call these the four load-bearing walls of business strategy or positioning strategy. And a successful professional firm has to have a good, concise, differentiating, relevant answer to all four of those questions. Oh, that's excellent. And I think we've all kind of experienced maybe as as marketing services professionals, maybe leading organizations, the I guess the tyranny or the 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 notion of where the where the shark that continually has to swim to stay alive and and feed kind of the revenue beast. Mm. Um, So conversely, there's that notion of, gosh, we've got to be able to take on all types of projects, even those that are maybe on the periphery. Describe a little bit in your experience, the complexion, um, maybe the size, different dimensions of of a typical marketing services firm that comes to Ignition for an engagement. You know, what are the, have, have they arrived there? you know with with a point of exasperation have they started to think very deliberately as they reach a certain size about some form of positioning and specialization yeah there there are lots of triggers for that i've thought a little bit about this question i do think there is a a common factor at play here because the the firms that i've worked for and worked with range in size from you know, very small independents to the largest multinational agencies that, you know, have tens of thousands of employees. So what what do these different types of firms have in common? I, I think that there is 
always this thread of what I would call unprofitable growth. You know, successful firms are going to grow just based on business cycles. Most achieve some form of growth. But a lot of firms end up at a point where they they just stop and, and take account of where they've been and where they're going. And they realize that, yes, we're growing, we're adding people, but we are not uh, we're not improving our margins. We're having a more difficult time attracting and retaining the kind of talent that we need mm-hmm. to do the kind of work we want to do for our clients. And so this unprofitable growth is, is in effect, a vicious cycle in which they are earning less revenue for the same work, which provides less money to pay good talent, which really means they're going to create less effective work for their clients. So they're trapped in this vicious cycle. And the only way out is to address their their revenue model, because I think the a, a suboptimal and their positioning strategy, these mm-hmm. two things interrelated. Uh, very often, a organization will come to us with, with the problem of help us improve our pricing, when in effect, in fact, we discovered that the real foundational underlying problem is that they don't they don't have a a clear business strategy. So we've got to go back and start start there before we can talk about the pricing. But having a clear positioning strategy, a way to showcase your expertise, produces it helps helps you with the pricing because obviously you you can command premium pricing if you've got the kind of ex- expertise that is scarce and hard to find uh versus claiming to do the exact same thing every other agency does which gives you no pricing leverage uh whatsoever it's a it's a really interesting concept and i know in some of your exercises in in, in the book and ignition blog and and some of your thought leadership you've sometimes shown Side by side comparisons of what you know, a marketing services firm or an agency or a, a consumer experience consultancy would say about themselves, and, and and maybe it's the homepage of their website or or their LinkedIn blurb, which is which is a lot of times the entryway into their brand and their first you know potential clients, maybe first glance at them and their brand essence, and you you often will put them up next to each other and just see the the sea of sameness, I guess, right around that. And differentiation is, I guess, would you consider that an out an outcome of positioning? Yeah, is that is that a good way to think about that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's positioning. Unfortunately, to, to some people, even in professional service circles, they immediately jump to this idea of, oh, well, you mean a, a tagline, uh, something that we're well known for, um, a, a an underlying theme that helps give us something to talk about as you say on our on a website <clears throat> but it goes much deeper than that it's it's really to this question of of business strategy what do you do that is both relevant and differentiating and those are those are those are two key questions because it's easy to do something that is uh highly re- relevant that that clients need and they're willing to pay for but every other firm on the planet also does it Mm-hmm. So it's not differentiating. You've got to define your core competencies at the intersection of of those of those two those those two things. I would also say so. That's the what in the what who way uh, why uh, framework that I describe. But 
an equally important question is the question of who's your customer. I mean, Peter Drucker famously said, that's the first question of any business is who's your customer. And the answer can't be everybody. Mm -hmm. As you, as you said a few minutes ago, a lot, most firms desperately want to appeal to everyone and they, they, they feel like the, the way to do that is to, to broaden their services to, to create the impression that they serve, they offer every kind of service to every kind of market. Well, I would say that there's not a single client or prospect on the planet who, who is looking for a wide range of services. What are they looking for? They're looking for experience and expertise in their business, in their category, mm-hmm. the ability to solve their problem. When agencies and law firms and accounting firms, any, you know, any variety of you know, a professional service firm, when, when they insist on Talking about, and here are some of my favorite, <laughs> favorite, least favorite words um, used to describe professional firms, and these will sound familiar, full service, mm-hmm. integrated, yeah. wide range of service. Well, what is that? That's not, that's, that's the absence of a positioning strategy. Mm. The, the concept of full service doesn't exist. There's and and what's the alternative like half service partial service i mean it's a it's a term that's completely lost its meaning there's not a there's not a a, a firm on the planet that could could truly be considered full service and to say um wide range of services again not what your prospects are shopping for they're looking for experience and expertise in their category there are plenty of studies that are done by uh associations that seek to understand what what are the key criteria that that marketers are looking for when hiring uh, a partner, a marketing partner, and the number one answer in in various surveys over the years is al- always the same. They're looking for best in class expertise. Mm-hmm. That's an excellent point. So your job as the leader of a professional firm is to define what are the what are the areas and the markets in which we could we could build a reputation as best in class. As, as I say, no matter what your size or, or your, your geographical location, because some firms equate best in class. Well, well, that means we've got to have, you know, offices around the world and we've got to have thousands of people. That's not true. You can be a very small firm in a, in a very small city and be best in class in something. Particularly in today's new kind of the new business environment where the exactly right the world's yeah. suddenly flattened and geography is no longer a real prevailing kind of need or table stake to get into the business you know you noted about different types of research i, I i'm wondering um there's a there was a great book i read uh, came out a few years ago around you know uh, behind the behind the beyond the hockey stick i guess the growth analysis that some authors from mckinsey did and one of the primary attributes of the business in any category that outperformed its peers in terms of profit was, well, of course they managed to profit, but was a differentiation and specialization firms Mm -hmm. that did that overwhelmingly were more profitable and led their category. We talk a bit about um, uh, positioning, uh, specialization, your, um, your cornerstones of business strategy. It's interesting when, when you think about enlisting professional services, maybe even, even personally, I have a CPA who seems to me to be very competent. I've in my my household 
Um, we, we've had either my wife and I have had lots of international business travel. We've we've had residencies outside the country at times, you know, a rental property or two. And he always kind of gives me really expertise, really really great advice that would take me hours and days to sort of assemble on my own. And interestingly, I never question the price. You know, if he raises his rates, I just I, I want that expertise. Marketing services firms seem to be under really acute pressure and around notions of rates, um, even uh, uh, media companies all the way down through what we think of as our, our more creative communications type, type firms. You have a really strong position around, around pricing, um, and you touched on it a little bit, but I'd love to hear a bit around helping firms establish that pricing strategy once they've gone through that positioning exercise and 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 you have a notion of pricing value, not necessarily um, pricing hours. I, I would say that most firms actually don't have a pricing strategy. They mm-hmm. we lack rev, a revenue model in professional services. We we have a cost structure, mm-hmm. but that's not the same as a revenue model. Um, most firms. Who, who, and this is unfortunately still the majority of professional service firms who take what time that was logged by, by the professionals in their firm and they turn that into a, an invoice. So in effect, they're, they're just turning their costs into their price. Well, that, that's not, that's not pricing. An economist would look at that and say, well, that's, that's, that's accounting only for your internal costs of delivering the service. It's not reflecting at all the value or perceived value to the buyer. So if you look at the clients of professional firms, you know, marketers, how do they price? They, they look at the potential value of the product or service, and they set a price based on that, knowing what their internal costs are. But they do what's called top-down pricing instead of bottom-up costing. So the hourly rate is the absolute wrong way for professionals to be capturing the value they create for their clients because what we're really selling and what our clients are really buying are not our costs and our efforts and our activities, but they're, they're buying what? They're buying our expertise. And our expertise is the result of the 32 years that you've spent solving similar problems. So you can come in with um, with a perspective that's going to effectively solve a complex business problem in a matter of five minutes. Should you put five minutes on your timesheet? Or exactly. should you there or then pad your timesheet and say, well, I solved in five minutes, but it was worth it was worth, you know, a hundred times that. So th- this is why the whole time tracking system uh, creates a lot of in, d- dishonesty um, and is a suboptimal way to capture the value because no client is interested in buying our costs. They're interested in buying solutions to business problems. And the time we spend solving a business problem does not correlate at all to the expertise or the value of the of the solved problem. So what we need is a is a revenue model in in professional services that that can more ca- more effectively capture that value and there is no one right way to do it there are lots of ways there's there's licensing there's subscription there's royalties there's usage there's a lot of different m- ways that that we can 
uh, capture revenue that helps us diversify our pricing uh, portfolio rather than one single way, which is let's add up our hours and send the client an invoice. It reminds me of a uh, kind of a, an interesting cartoon meme that that goes around in consulting circles. Sometimes it's the the notion of the uh, the public school that's that's got the aging boiler heating system, and after calling in a few service firms, they they can't solve how to how to get it working. So they they dip back and and find a repairman who you know, probably has 30 years experience in a boiler that's no longer manufactured. And he comes, listens to the boiler, pulls a hammer out of his toolbox, whacks it. And uh, the thing kind of springs to life and presents them with a $5,000 invoice that says $100 for the whack of the hammer and uh, $4,900 to know where to hit, right? It's that that yeah. notion of of accumulated knowledge and expertise. So, you know, when you think of the ecosystem of professional services and the notion of uh, winning a client, acquiring a new client, maybe organic growth within an existing client and running up against sort of the buzzsaw of like a, a procurement. Um, are you seeing some success and shifts over time where there are some great firms that are taking that kind of stand and saying, you know, we are really pricing value and outcome versus simply hourly and, and able to adapt to that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and much more so now than five years ago, and especially 10 years ago, there, there is a tremendous amount of momentum behind the change away from input based pricing to out, output or outcome based pricing. And let's just keep in mind, so many success stories there. Early on, it was mostly the smaller independent firms that that were uh, willing to experiment and do a little test and learn in this area. But, but now the multinational agencies are all engaged in this. Uh, we're working with, with multinational agencies from all the major holding companies right now, in addition to uh, some of the more the smaller mid-sized independents. So it's happening on, uh, on, a, on a global scale um, I can finally say, which we're, we're happy to be able to, to, to finally make that statement. Um, and let's keep in mind that procurement is simply reflecting back to us a model that we created and that, that we taught them. I mean, it's our system. I mean, 30 years ago, I'm speaking specifically of the advertising business now, but 30, 40 years ago, the timesheet did not exist inside agencies. Uh, Don Draper, Madman, did not do a timesheet. You know, no one in 1960s or 1970s agencies did timesheets because they didn't exist. Agencies earned commission as their revenue source. It wasn't until the, the mid-1980s when agencies began unbundling their business model where uh, and it was David Ogilvy, founder Ogilvy and Mather, who famously took credit for being the father of the fee system. He bar- he yeah, looked, the fee system. Yeah. He looked at law firms and said, well, let's do that. Let's bill by the hour, which he later regretted. Um, so so we're, we're, you know, we fret about procurement playing back to us. Well, they want our rates and they want to see our costs. And they, well, well, why? Well, because this, they're they're simply as I say, reflecting back a system, we taught them. And so now it's, it's the job of the seller 
to innovate their pricing and to educate the buyer. Here's how we price our services. It's not the job of the buyer to price our services. Too many professional firms have ceded way too much power, authority, influence to, to the seller. They, they, they believe that they're no longer in control of their own pricing, which is ridiculous. Of course we are. No, that's a great, that's a great point. And it's interesting. We see that at Mavenlink. Um, maybe some of that trend that you're describing finally taking root. You know, we have several hundred extremely valued agency clients within our space. Some uh, will log time. Some will not log time. Some will do it in a kind of a hybrid fashion where they want to understand where talent is spending their time, but maybe the the actual revenue commercial model is separate from that. So we are seeing that uh, shift afoot, and it sounds healthy. But when it when it comes to professional services, and marketing services in particular, I mean the the there's ink spilled almost daily about the challenge for talent, um, attracting the right talent, retaining the right talent, and being able to nurture talent in a in a in in a challenging business model, and. From our vantage point, we're really kind of encouraged by just the resilience of particularly marketing services through the early days of the pandemic, and most are now kind of bursting at the seams that we're working with. And and um, the the constant refrain, of course, is we need more of the right people. And you have an interesting vantage point that talent and the economics of the business model are really tightly linked. Yeah, yeah, de- definitely the. The, the problem with the, the hourly rate structure is it creates a, an unscalable business model. The only You can't scale a business that's dependent on labor that has a one-to-one relationship. So if you want, if you get more business, you get, then you need to hire more people. Uh, you haven't solved your problem. You're just pouring gasoline on the fire. So that's, that's back to this question of, could we have a revenue model? That's not dependent on people logging time on a timesheet. That that's a that's a, a treadmill that you you can never get off of. That's work a million hours, make a million dollars. So if 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 you introduce other other uh, revenue models into your business, um, such as and when we say value pricing, that's actually. We're really just talking about modern pricing. We're talking about pricing as practiced by the rest of the business world. Uh, no, nobody in, in client organizations generally uh, does does a timesheet. You know, they don't they don't build their customers by the hour, right? None of the product manufacturers are dependent on it. So, so if you look at one of the calculations that um, that that I think is is a useful metric. Uh, inside professional firms uh, for financial to ma- measure financial success is revenue per employee, revenue mm-hmm. per employee. Yeah. So this is done and reported in the trade press. Uh, most agencies do this. It's a simple calculation. It's your total revenue divided by your total number of FTEs. So if you look at the average for most most agencies, it would be somewhere around oh, $150,000, say, per mm-hmm. revenue per FTE. You know what it is at Google? 1.3 million. <laughs> so why do you suppose talented people are leaving agencies and going to work for Google? 
because Google has the money to pay them and we don't. And and the, the talent drain inside our business is our most essential pressing problem, I believe, in professional services at large, because we have a not we, we have a, a business uh, revenue model that doesn't scale. And we have a self-imposed profit ceiling. I mean, here's another dumb idea. Let's our maximum revenue for the year is a, a calculation of number of people times the number of billable hours. So we there, there's our total maximum possible revenue for the year. What other business would do that? What other business would give themselves a, a, a ceiling on their revenues and profits? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's really. I think key and in, in germane to the the conversation. I mean, we're seeing. I'd say, you know, from our vantage point, we're seeing some really interesting, maybe tender shoots, I guess, of of different emerging modalities, agencies that are providing services, as well as some interesting platform expertise, prepackaging types of outputs and outcomes that are repeatable, that are highly valuable, extremely sought after, but don't require maybe the same amount of just hourly tonnage, right? Yeah. It's, it's more a function of their expertise and, and building a repeatable process in business. So this is extremely provocative and very, very um, forward thinking. But what advice would you have for that, that emerging, ascending, maybe independent agency that is, has, is reaching that crossroad and says, you know, gosh, we've grown probably by virtue of the quality of our work and our insight and our expertise, we, we're, we're delivering solutions for clients, but we want to scale and we think there's a better way, but to scrap maybe the model completely initially seems very daunting. You know, what, what are some advice for some, some couple of next steps other than reading the books, of course, but. Yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> you, you've kind of articulated it in, in the sense that, uh, well, I mean, I, I'm a fan of the idea that professional firms ought, ought to engage in some productization. Um, if all you do is offer the same bullet point list of services at, a, at an hourly rate as the, as the other firms down the street, first of all, that's not very differentiating. It's never going to be very profitable. It doesn't scale. To take those services and reimagine them as solutions or solution sets, and better still, to reframe them as as programs or products that, as you say, are repeatable, then then you do start to bring some scale to your business because you've got a you've got not just a social media service, but you've got a social media program, and the program consists of these various elements. We've got a, a version A, version B, version C of this. Which one would work best for you? You deliver the program. And as you get better and better at delivering these programs, you can deliver them in less and less time. It's like a surgeon who gets better and better at heart surgery, right? He Instead of 13 hours, it's one hour, but he's paid the same fee because the patient's paying for the expertise of a successful surgery, not the n- number of hours in the operating room. So that's, that's the, the value of having programs. And then there are some things inside agencies that, that, can, that qualify as pure play products, the software platforms, uh, uh, digital applications, um, r- research products that are money while you sleep. They're, they're things that, don't, that actually don't require any labor. 
but they're generating some revenue for for the agency. And and so this goes to your question of, you know, where where to start and can you go hold cold turkey and just say, you know, well, you know, we're we're going to kill timesheets starting next week. Well, actually I do think you can do that, but but what what the, what will make you feel more comfortable with making the transition is that what we're tra- talking about is a diversified pricing portfolio so that your sources of revenue come from lots of different places. Some of your models are, are going to be uh, higher margin and more more profitable in, in some years than others. I'll give you an example. If you, if you think about how you invest for retirement, we as individuals, we put some money in high risk, high return, medium risk, medium return, low risk, low, low return. Well, we think of a professional firm's pricing portfolio in a similar way. You should have some high risk, high return slices to that pricing portfolio some of which are going to pay off in a very big way and some aren't but so what you've you you're you're going to consistently at the end of the year you're going to make a better higher profit margin than you would have just doing the the seemingly safe uh but low return billing by the hour strategy the agencies that earn and professional firms that earn instead of a you know, 15% net profit, they're earning a 30 or 40% year in net profit. That's how they're able to do it by placing a series of bets on themselves, not just adding up their time and sending the client a bill. Well, that's great insight. And I think, you know, what we'd leave the listeners with too is some analogies to that that you can see at scale are really the large management consulting firms. Yep. Um, exactly huge, right. service com- huge service component. Yep. They'll sell extremely high price strategy. They'll sell certainly tonnage managed services where they're using arbitrage globally for mm-hmm. lower rates, but lots of software integration, unique connectors. They'll license some of these things and yeah. really get embedded I, with clients. So yeah, IP, they I mean, most of the and this is what you're saying, most of the large consultancies make more than more than half their revenue. Um, from uh, from IP in one form or another, it's not it's not billing by the hour. Tim, this has been great, and we could keep on going. It's a fascinating discussion. It's very very relevant, I think, to a core constituent of our customer base, and we are always looking for ways to help our marketing services, our, our consulting organizations, our agencies. But I want to leave the users with your website where folks can go. Um, it's ignitiongroup.com. And within there, I think you've got the Ignition blog, correct? And that's, yes, uh, it's called Propulsion. It's, uh-huh. Propulsion. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, the two books are Positioning for Professionals and Take a Stand for Your Brand. Uh, for us at the podcast, it's always great to have our listeners join in. You can reach out to us at podcast at mavenlink.com. If you have any follow-up questions for myself or for Tim, we'd love to hear from you. And Tim, thanks again for really stimulating a deep and relevant conversation today. Well, thanks, Brent. You, you asked some really insightful questions. I appreciate you inviting me. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know by giving the show a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform and leaving a comment. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, you can do so anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. 
and to learn more about the power of Cantata's purpose-built technology, go to cantata.com. Thanks again for listening.